0: Hi, I'm Neil, the host of the Good News Podcast. This is your source for good news, fun stories, and sonic joy. All of this goodness is coming to you from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. For today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking about a new book with one of its co-authors, Survival of the Friendliest by Brian Hare and Vanessa Woods. This is the first part of our conversation. There was just too much good and interesting stuff in our interview, so we're spreading it over two episodes. Without further ado, let's jump into it. This is Brian Hare.
1: So I'm Brian Hare, and I am a professor at Duke University.
0: Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on the Good News Podcast. You have written, along with your wife, Vanessa Woods, Survival of the Friendliest, Understanding Our Origins, and Rediscovering Our Common Humanity. For the Good News Podcast, this is the perfect book. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So... I've read it, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was extremely interesting. For for people who haven't read it, would you mind just giving them a little background on, on what the book is, what they need to know about it before they go out and get themselves a copy? Yeah, I think uh, really the theme of the book is that if you
1: take a step back and you look at success in life, uh, meaning all of life, friendliness is the winning strategy. Uh, we see again and again that animals and organisms that are successful are somehow friendly in a new way that allows them to cooperate. And when you then use that to look at our own species and say, what about us? It ends up we have all the hallmarks of being built for friendliness. The book makes the case that really our species is the friendliest species of human
0: to evolve. Through the book you you sort of start comparing friendliness in, in other creatures, other animals that aren't us and then like uh, standing on that foundation you relate that to humans so it's a really interesting read it starts with dogs that's kind of where the the book starts and previously you've written a book called the genius of dogs can can you tell me i imagine there's connection between like the genius of dogs as maybe like the prequel (laughs) and and here we are with uh, survival of the friendliness?
1: That's right. well, I, I didn't start out uh, studying friendliness. It was my dogs that allowed us to realize how important this was as a force in nature and in our own species. Uh, what we learned by studying domestication, process of becoming domesticated is that dogs are really exhibit A of how friendliness leads to success. Dogs in the first book and in this book we present the evidence are a, a product of friendliness, being a big advantage in life. And uh, that's what allowed them to go from being a wolf-like organism to being in our beds uh, <laughs> and traveling all over the world with us. And there are millions of them everywhere, while wolves, sadly, are uh, endangered in the remainder of their habitat. So really, dogs are exhibit A for what we're talking about in in, in the previous book and this one.
0: Yeah, and it, it seems like dogs broadly our Exhibit A, but maybe Exhibit A plus is Oreo, (laughs) your dog? (laughs) Yeah,
1: so so that was the dog that had big effects on me as a kid. What happened was uh, I was working with uh, my undergraduate advisor and we were trying to understand how humans are different from other species. And the idea was that when you're nine months old, you begin to communicate in a new way and it's the first window into others' minds. And uh, my undergraduate advisor was saying, only humans do this. Uh, (laughs) And the communication he was talking about is something that I was sure my childhood dog Oreo could do. Uh, Because when I would play fetch and he would lose his ball, I would use the kind of communication that was thought to be unique. And that is a gesture pointing in the direction that uh, the lost ball had been thrown. And my dog could run off and look for it when I pointed. And so this ended up being a big deal to scientists. Uh, believe it or not, something I think lots of dog owners have experienced uh, and knew very well. But in science, this was big news. So that was that started us on this trajectory.
0: There are some big concepts in the book, like theory of mind and specifically cooperative communication. So this was sort of the first time outside of humans it had been directly observed. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah so the 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 cooperative communication of using gestures and following somebody's point is something that is critical to Uh, acquiring culture in humans. It's the first way that as all of us, as young children began understanding others in a new way. And so it really hadn't, that type of cooperative communication really hadn't been observed in other organisms before. And so the reason dogs were so long ignored was because it was thought that domestication sort of, uh, you know, didn't really make them smarter. It made them sort of just, you know, sit around and get free handouts and not really do much. Um, But it ends up when we started looking and comparing dogs to wolves, wolves are smarter than dogs in a lot of ways, but when it comes to understanding us, it's their sort of special genius. And even more than that, we now know that it was selection for friendliness because there are experiments where animals were actually selected for friendliness towards people. And they too have this increase in cooperative communication that comes along with that selection for friendliness.
0: Again, if I'm understanding correctly, your one part of the thesis is that it wasn't an evolution towards intelligence so much as uh, this evolution towards cooperative friendliness that that has made us the fittest. So we so often think that Darwin said you have to be like smart and strong. The, The argument would be actually you need to be cooperative and friendly. Yeah, so survival of the fittest is something we've all
1: heard and it's really been misunderstood and misrepresented. It really just means whoever has the most offspring. And uh, fittest doesn't mean strong, big, bad, alpha, mean, brutish, any of those things, uh, except for in our own imaginations uh, and our own popular culture. That's not what it means scientifically. And in fact, when people have spent decades studying life, uh, it is not the overwhelming message of what survival of the fittest actually means is friendliness, survival of the friendliest. If you are attracted, if you can interact in a constructive, peaceful way with another organism, uh, almost in, uh, without exception, there's some huge benefit to this that allows you to do better than less friendly, less cooperative organisms. And again and again, we see this in nature.
0: That was part one of our conversation. Listen next time for more. Thanks for listening. If you've got good news or an idea for the show, amazing. Send an email to hello at thegoodnewspodcast.fm. While you're at it, follow us on Twitter at The Good News Pod.